So the title of the sermon for your notes is The Ten Financial Commandments. The Ten Financial Commandments. And obeying God financially has nothing to do with how much money you have. Um, I, 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 know, I know incredibly rich people that disobey God financially. I know poor people that disobey God financially. So it's not about that. Now, money is actually, even though we don't talk about it a lot here, we don't pass a plate at this church or anything like that, it's actually my most favorite subject in the entire Bible. I'm amazed at it. I love it more than any other subject in the Bible. And I also love studying human nature when it comes to finances and how we react and how people treat each other based on... You can lose a best friend that you've had for 30 years over a $10 lunch, right? So money is amazing. And here's why it's amazing is because um, Jesus, one of his friends, his disciples, Judas betrayed him not for you know women or pornography or for influence or power betrayed him for money um, out of all the sermons jesus preached he preached more about money in hell than anything else so you may have not attended his church if he had a church in myrtle beach you probably wouldn't go because it was either money or hell every other week um, money is the number one reason for divorce in the 90s uh, financial stress on marriages was the foundation of all the divorces that went on in America in the 90s. Um, uh, money is amazing to me. It's the number one battle for our heart, the Bible says. It says you can't serve God and money. It doesn't say God and everything else you could list. It's God and money. So it amazes me how people react to money. It amazes me what people think about money. Proverbs 17, 16 says this. There's no use for money in the hand of a fool who refuses to learn godly wisdom and has no common sense. See, a lot of people think their problems are, I need more money. Their problem is they need more wisdom. Amen. The reason a lot of people win the lottery and they're broke a year later, they thought money was their problem. And it's so funny. Everything money promises us are things that only God gives. Money says, if you have me, you'll be happier. God says, no, no, no. If you have me, you'll be happier. Money says, if you have me, um, you'll have more joy and peace. And if you have me, um, you'll, have, you'll have less stress. I know millionaires that are going to give themselves a heart attack because they stress out about money. All the things money promises us are things that only God can give. Money says, I'll give you influence. I'll give you power. I'll give you all that. No, those are only things that come from God. Um, money's the number one reason for war. So you might say since time began, more people have been killed over gold, oil, money, you know, fuel, things of that nature. Um, there's a word I want you to think about for the next 30 minutes before we get into our 10 points today. <laughs> How many points do I normally have on a sermon? Okay, so we have 10 today, but I promise we'll get through it in the short two and a half hours that we have together. So we'll be okay. So the word I want you to think about today is the word stewardship. And you can write it down in your paper. Stewardship means to manage the property of another. To manage the property of another. Now, let me tell you God's dream for your life financially, okay? His dream, your, your financial destiny is this. That you never, ever, ever, ever worry about money. That is his financial dream for your life. Now, all of our destinies, we're not all destined to be millionaires, you know, so, but that's his dream is that you never think about it. You're never supposed to think about it, worry about it, stress over it. Matthew 6 says, do not worry about it. Do not, do not, do not, do not. So um, if, if we're stewards, in other words, if, if all that we have belongs to God and we're managing what he has, we are God's bank. If God wants to make a withdrawal, he comes to us. If he wants to make a deposit, hopefully he comes to us. We are God's bank. Now, let me teach you about stewardship because some people don't like that word because, you know, growing up, you had a pastor every year stand up and they did a whole stewardship campaign and beg money out of people and that kind of thing. So let me teach you stewardship. Um, all of you men in here that are married, your wife is really not yours. 
she's really God's, but he's entrusting her to you for you to return her one day back to him in better condition than when you found her. I didn't think that was going to go over well. Okay, okay. So, um, how about this? Um, your children are not really your children. They're really God's. He's entrusting those children to you for you to manage them the way he would want because he is their father. And one day they're going to go back to him and hopefully they're going to become the people that God wanted them to be because he entrusted those people to you. You're stewards. You understand? Okay, I'm going to give you one. You're, I know you're not going to lie. You will boo me out of this building. That's okay. The Bible says when we're saved that our body does not belong to us. It belongs to God. So are we stewarding our body the way that he would want us to? That's pretty good, right? Okay, whatever. Anyway, so I have 10 points for you today. 10 commandments. So I'm going to read the 10 commandments, and I'm going to give you a financial commandment with it. And I had to stretch it a little bit. I had to be a little bit extra creative on some of them. So, so stay with me. Okay, so point number one, Exodus 20, verse 3 is the first commandment. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. So financial commandment number one is this. Put God first. Put God first. Now, we, we've talked about tithing. It's one of our core values, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I do want to kind of tell you my little story of tithing. Um, I grew up, and my wife says I grew up very wealthy. We were just blessed. You know, compared to the way she grew up, we were wealthy, but we just saw it as just blessed. You know, we had a very large house and all the clothes we wanted, and we went to the dentist on a regular basis and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I turned about 13 years old, I was playing the piano at a friend's house over in Deerfield, over there in the Surfside area. And this was in 1994, 93, 5, something like that. And their priest was over there. And I didn't know anything about Catholicism. I grew up in a charismatic church. We were jumping pews and speaking in tongues and running around anointing everything with oil and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm playing the piano and the priest comes in and he puts music in front of me. He says, can you play this? And I said, sure. And I started playing that. And he put something and I played that. He said, will you play the piano at my church? And I said, oh, I already play at my church on Sundays. He said, oh, no, we have church on Saturdays. I said, what kind of weird people have church on Saturdays? You know, this was over at St. Michael's over in Merle's Inlet. And his name was Father Bill, amazing priest. And, um, and he said, no, no, you know, we can play on Saturdays. I said, well, yeah, sure, I'll play on Saturdays. And so my parents dropped me off that first Saturday. I was too young to drive. And um, I got done playing for two, they call it masses. We call it church services, two masses. And after it was over, he handed me a check for $300. I said, what's this? He said, well, you know, you played the piano. I said, why are you paying me? He said, well, we, we pay people to do this here. I said, yo, Catholic, I'm a Catholic. I'll be a Catholic. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'm there. Sprinkle me with some water. My name's John Paul. At the time, the Pope was named John Paul. I'm, I'm Catholic, man. Just count me in. I will be there in a heartbeat. And so every Saturday, I went there and made 300 bucks as a 14-year-old kid. Um, and then I started playing in restaurants for $25 an hour plus tips, and that was cash. And there, I'd walk out with $200 a night as a teenager. When I was 15 and a half years old, I'd managed to save $6,000, and I bought myself a brand new 1995 Mustang for $16,000. I had enough credit at 15 and a half years old that I financed $10,000 on my own. I'd already gotten Sears credit cards, you know, and, and I paid that. And I learned, I learned finances at a very young age. I was always mesmerized by it. My grandparents helped me and so forth. And so I had a car. I had my first child at 16, so I'm paying for that. And, and I bought my first house at 20 years old. And, and so financially, I was great. All growing up, I was great financially. But when I got saved in my early 20s and I learned about tithing and putting God first, I didn't want to do it. And here's why. I didn't need to. I was making money. I didn't need God's blessing. I was doing okay financially. 
It's so interesting, as soon as I learned about tithing and refused to do it, I lost all kinds. I mean, things were, I was, this car was breaking, the washing machine, this happened, needed more groceries, kids, you know, not enough for diapers and all this stuff. And here's the problem. I want you to write this down or at least remember it in your head. Tithing is submitting your will to God. See, I did not want him telling me what to do with my money. This is mine. I worked hard for it. I don't want you. I'll give when I want to, where I want to, how I want to. And tithing is the first 10% of the storehouse, and God's already designated for that. And I did not like that. It took me two years as a saved person to finally start honoring God financially, putting him first. And once I did it, I never had a problem the rest of my life. To this day, every single thing I've ever wanted and prayed for has been provided for me. Because the greatest test we'll ever face is the money test. And if we put God first there, everything else is downhill. Okay, point number two is this. The second commandment, Exodus 24 says, You shall not make for yourself any kind of idol, for I am a jealous God and I tolerate no rivals. So commandment two, financially, don't worship material things. Don't worship material things. How many of you, and do not raise your hand, how many of you have ever bought something that you know you are not supposed to purchase? If you still have that thing in your home or in your possession, give it away, sell it. It's not worth it. It is not worth having that gut-wrenching feeling in your, you know what it is. Whenever you spend money on something, you think, I can't believe I wasted money on this $3,000 pocketbook. <laughs> or, or when you go to anthropology and you get an $80 candle that they sell for $5 at, at, at Walmart. But it's anthropology. It smells so good. Oh, they all smell the same. Don't, don't worship material things. Do not put something material in front of God. Point number three is this. Verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now here, this is for preachers, not really for y'all, but here's the point three. Don't use God's name to manipulate people financially. Don't use God's name to manipulate people financially. I see too many preachers that are all about money, 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 and they want to build these things, and, and, and money, in my opinion, is being wasted on things that are not bettering the kingdom of God or the community. Don't use God's name to do that. And, and here's what we always have to remind ourselves as preachers, is that y'all are not our source. God is our source, just like God is your source. Your job is not your source. Okay? My job is not my source. God's my source. He'll use resources in our life, but whether you give or not, God's going to take care of me. And, and, and whether you give or not, God's going to do what he's going to do for our church. You may not be blessed and be a part of it, but God's still going to do it. If God wants to send us a million dollars, he'll send us a million dollars. When God orders something, he always pays for what he orders. He does not put it on back order. He pays for what he orders. In fact, one of the biggest miracles that, that always kept me filled with faith happened over in Surfside about 10 years ago or so. There was a storefront church. They had about 20, 30 people. The pastor's doing his best. And one day they get a check in the mail for a one million one million dollars <laughs> one million dollars and he thinks what is this and there was a guy that lived in another state who just needed a tax write-off in south carolina so he told his secretary google churches in myrtle beach and send one of them a million dollars true story about a decade ago over in surfside they get a check, and the pastor's about to faint he thinks oh this is a joke this is some kind of a scam you know whatever he calls it in it's real he deposits it that church, they went from you know, 20, 30 people in a storefront. They took that million dollars and built a big, beautiful building on Homestown Road over where Glens Bay is. And here's why. God just wanted to do it. If God orders something, God will pay for it. We don't ever have to manipulate people to somehow better ourselves financially. Number four is this. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Okay, are you ready? Workaholics, listen. But the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord God. So point number four is this. Enjoy your money. Um, there's about 1,890 scriptures in the Bible on money. About 1,860 of them are about what a battle it is for our heart. But there are two scriptures that tell us to enjoy our money. I think it's so interesting that God's like, you know what? They don't need more than two to get that inside of them. Enjoy your money. Some of y'all here are tightwads. You're wearing the same clothes you wore from 1995. You haven't bought your wife anything new in a decade. Go out and spend some money, man. Go out to eat every now and then. Go enjoy Myrtle Beach. God has blessed you and he wants you to enjoy some of it. Um, sometimes workaholics will continue and continue and continue until they drive themselves in an unhealthy state. But God will never bless seven days of work. If you work six days, God will bless seven. If you work seven days, God will bless six. Now, I realize that um, emergencies happen if you own your own business and things of that nature. But for the most part, you have to realize God will never bless something that goes against his word. Um, and if you're curious what God can do in six days, just walk outside. If you're curious how much God can get done when something is blessed by God in six days, look outside. But if you choose to work seven, God will never bless that seventh day. Ever, 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 ever. And it's also taken away from your family and the other things that God's put inside of your life. Okay? Point number five, Exodus 20 verse 12 says this, Honor your father and your mother. Now, I'm going to teach you what the New Testament says that our only financial responsibility to our parents are. Okay? If you've ever wondered, my parents are getting older. What, this is the minimum, minimum financial responsibility is this. Never let your parents starve or be homeless. Those are the two things that we, as, 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 as being children of our parents, we have to make sure we have enough money, we work hard enough and honor God, so that when they are older, we always make sure they are never hungry and they're never homeless. I don't care if your parents are drug addicts, I don't care if your mom's a, 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 you know, a prostitute, your dad beat you when you were younger, abused you horribly, whatever they did, put it aside, and when they get older, you have to make sure they are not hungry and they are not, um, and they are not homeless. Uh, my favorite story about this in the Bible is in the Old Testament with Ruth. Remember, um, Naomi, her husband died, and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, their husbands died. And so Naomi, the mother-in-law, the older one, she tells her daughter-in-law, she said, I got to go find somebody to take care of me. I'm old. I can't even work. And so I'm going to go back to where I live. And she told her daughter-in-law, y'all do the same thing. Well, Orpah, who I always want to call Oprah for some reason, but anyway, Orpah, Orpah said, okay, I'm going to go. I'll see you later. It's funny, I bet Oprah thought, you know what, I'm young, I'm, 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 I'm attracted, I need to find a man, I, need to, I have dreams in life, I can't take care of my old mom. It's funny, we never hear about Oprah from that moment on. Her biblical destiny ended right then and there. I assume she became ingrown and thought, I don't have the energy and I don't want to waste my money, you know, whatever the case. Well, Ruth had a different attitude. In Ruth 1.14 it says, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye but Ruth stayed to help. So Ruth followed her, and in verse 16, she said, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. And I will take care of you for the rest of your life. When you know in your heart and you have the attitude you're going to take care of your elderly parents, God will always provide for you to do that. I promise you. And here's the truth. One day, we're all going to get old. I mean, if you don't sow those seeds you know, now, when you're old, who's going to take care of you? You reap what you sow. 
Okay. And listen, take the time to call. If, if they're old, elderly, I, when I call my nana, I call her like once a week. I know I got to sit aside 30 minutes because she's going to tell me everything that's been bottled up for one entire week of her life. I, and, and usually I hear the same story every single time, but it's okay. Because when I get her age, I hope that my kids or my grandkids are there to call me. So Ruth followed her mother-in-law Naomi to take care of her. And Ruth couldn't find a job because she was a woman. And in chapter 2, it says every day Ruth would pick up the leftover grain that was in a field from early morning until late, except for when she sat down for just a little while to rest. So she worked super hard picking up leftover grain. She went from barely enough to just enough. And now she's working hard, which working hard is biblical. Um, and then the owner of the field named Boaz, everybody say Boaz. Boaz. Boaz started noticing her and thought, man, this girl's awesome. I like her. So he told his guys, he said, leave extra grain for her. Leave more than enough for her, right? In Ruth 2.10, she asked Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should be so good to me? And Boaz answered, he did not say, well, you're hot, baby. You, you got curves, you got long hair, you're so pretty. Here's what he said. Here's what he was attracted to. He said this, I've been made fully aware of everything you've done since the death of your husband. Here's what he was saying. You're a hard worker and you're taking care of your mom. And I've noticed that. Well, he fell in love with her work ethic and her integrity. And in Ruth 4.13, it says, Boaz married Ruth. She went from barely enough, just enough. Now she owns everything. Way more blessed than Orpah could have been. Boaz represents more than enough in our life. Boaz represents the CEO noticing our hard work, seeing our integrity. And I got 30 seconds of financial wisdom for you. If you want a Boaz, you cannot be a broke ass, a poe ass, a dumb ass, a drunk ass, a cheap ass, a lazy ass, a dirty ass, or a good for nothing ass. And if that's you, Boaz ain't looking for your ass. Okay, point number six. <laughs> please, please quickly get me to point number six, right? So I had to stretch this one a little bit. Calm down, everybody, calm down, calm down, we'll be okay. I'll get, I'll get you out of here. So, so the sixth commandment in verse 13 is, you shall not murder. So I had to stretch this one. Here's your financial commandment. You shall not murder your boss. <laughs> Do not quit a job just because you don't like your boss. You'll go from one job to the next job. Well, they don't treat me right. They're not Christian. It's okay. What did you expect? You think they're going to pray for you every day? That is your ministry. We're all in full. If you have a job, you're in full-time ministry. God is allowing you to be paid to be a light to people who are not believers. Well, they, they talk about me and then my boss treats me so bad and, and they don't give me this and everything's unfair. Just welcome. That's the world we live in, man. You go to the next job, you'll find something else you don't like. I don't know anybody that likes their boss except for Tricia. I don't know. Is Jason Potter in here? Dan says he likes his boss only because he thinks Jason's in the room. But at next service, Dan won't raise his hand, I tell you. Nobody likes their boss. You do it anyway. Romans 13.1 says, submit to those that have authority over you. Submit with a good attitude. That is the person. They gave you that job. They're paying you. You do whatever they ask you to do that is legal and that has integrity. Um, work was not part of the curse. Work was not part of the curse of sin. Work was before sin. 
I just want you to understand, work is in a perfect world, in perfect Eden, where God is walking hand in hand with them. There was work. Genesis 2.15 says, God put the man in the garden to work the ground and to keep it. Work is going to be in heaven. You're going to work. You might as well get used to it now. Work's going to be for the rest of eternity. And what your work is in heaven is based on how you handle everything God's given you on earth. But the, the, the curse of sin, the way it affected work is it caused us to be stressed and ungrateful. We should be incredibly grateful that we have jobs. It's so funny. It seems like, and don't hurt me, but Americans are sometimes the most lazy people and entitled people in the entire world. We should be the hardest workers. We're more blessed than 90% of the entire earth. And if you're ungrateful for your job, yes. If you're ungrateful for your job, I decided to look up the world's worst job. So every day you can thank your, you know, thank God that you are not, you don't have this job. So if you want to know the world's worst job, in my opinion, it is for working for the quality control of Johnson and Johnson. Um, if you go to CVS, you know, on your way home, and you pick up a rectal thermometer, it says on every single Johnson and Johnson box. Every rectal thermometer made by Johnson & Johnson is personally tested. So thank God that's not your job. Thank God every day you don't work for them. Point number seven. I was going to see how many people I can offend in one service. I'm really excited about that. Point number seven. The seventh commandment, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. And the Amplified says sexual immorality. So point seven is this. Be a good steward. Be a good steward. Um, adultery is living above God's provision for your life. Um, have you ever stayed in somebody else's house and um, constantly had the thought, okay, we can't mess up anything. We got to clean it, make it better than it was. I remember growing up, my dad had a friend in North Carolina that owned a huge mansion of a home. They had a pool and they had all these, this forest of hills and we'd ride dirt bikes and all. And they went on a vacation, so they let, let us stay at their house. And I'll never forget coming in riding, from riding dirt bikes and, um, and I went to lay on the couch. My parents were like, oh, don't lay on the couch. Don't lay on the couch. I was like, why can't I lay on the couch? Don't. You can sit on it. Don't lay on it. I was like, but nobody's here but us. I said, well, I'm going to go lay in the bed. My mom said, I've already made the bed. Don't touch the bed. It's already been made. I said, well, I'm going to go take a shower. My dad said, don't use the towels that are hanging up. Don't use those. Use those that are in the closet. You know, here's why. Because it belonged to somebody else. We are steward. Everything God's blessed us with. It is all belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So I wanted to give you a quick visual for this. I need help. I got three teenagers. They're going to run up here as quick as they can. And it's so funny. These three teenagers, they're going to represent three of my sons. And none of my children wanted to play my children in the sermon. So I had to get fake children to do it. But anyway, okay. So these are three of my sons. And so you're going to be Zach. And Zach is incredibly cool. You're going to be Eli. And Eli is incredibly faithful. And you're going to be Asher. Asher's incredibly strong. Okay, that's what they're, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this here. Okay, okay, there we go. Okay, here we go. Okay. Now we're good. Okay, Zach, Eli. Okay, so I'm going to go out of the country for several months. And I'm going to fund money through my children to take care of my wife. Okay, I love my bride. I love my bride. And so I'm going to trust my children to help her. So every month I'm going to send each of my children a thousand dollars and I'm asking them to send 10% to my bride. Okay. That's, that's a hundred dollars from each every month to my bride. Are we on the same page? Now I need somebody to play my wife because she's up there and anybody want to play my wife? Just the old man at the back. That's weird. Okay. I got an idea. I got an idea. I got an idea. Okay. 
Okay, here we go. So now, okay, that's pretty accurate, right? Okay, here we go. That's pretty accurate. Okay, here we go. Okay, so I'm going to give each of you $1,000 every month. It's 1000 for you, 1000 for you, 1000 for you. Now, I need each of y'all to send her $100 a month, right? So after several months, I call my wife and I say, honey, this is, this is pretty accurate. I say, honey, I say, honey, um, I say, honey, how, how are the boys been taking care of you? And she said, well, let me tell you about Zach. Zach's been faithful. I mean, every month he sends me exactly $100 the first of the month. You send him 1000 he sends me. I said, that's great. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have to continue to channel $1,000 a month through Zach because he's doing exactly what I asked. I said, what about Eli? She said, well, Eli, he must really love me because he's been sending more than 100 The first month, he sent $150. Second month, $175. This third month, he sent $200. I said, that's amazing. I'm going to have to increase his level of trust. I can actually trust him more. And the more he's faithful with little, the more he's going to have much in his life. I'm going to give him more. I said, what about Asher? She said, oh, let me tell you about Asher. <laughs> she said, the first month, he sent 100 the second month he sent 75, and this third month he didn't send anything. Now, I love my children very much, but I'm gonna have to cut Asher off. Here's why. He's actually stealing from me. What is, he's taking what belongs to me and he's not channeling it the way I asked him to, so I'm gonna cut him off from my blessings in life. Good job, you guys did good. Y'all good. Give my hand, give my hand, give my hand. Jesus said, Jesus said to his children, I'm going away. I'm coming back one day, but I'm going away. While I'm gone, I want you to take care of my bride. The bride is the local church. We understand what it means to be a good steward. Okay, everybody say, oh yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay, point number eight is this. Thank you, wonder. <laughs> point number eight is this. Um, oh, Exodus 20, 15 is do not steal. So point number eight is don't spend emotionally. Don't spend emotionally. I read that for the past few years here in America, 80% of Americans spend what they're going to get back at their tax refund time before the money even comes in. When 80% of Americans figure out how much they're going to get back, they take a credit card and they go and spend it before they even get the money in the bank. Hebrews 12:11 says, discipline at the time seems painful, but afterwards it gives back peaceable Fruit, I realize that it's difficult sometimes to walk in a store without having to buy something. You got to be strong. Don't go in the store if you can't not walk out without using your credit card. You don't need a credit card. Throw it away. I've never in my entire life personally ever had a credit card, not even once. We have a church card that we'll use for things, you know, but I've never ever in my life ever had a credit card. And I've never made really over $1,000 a week until probably recently. And, that's my, and I've had five kids. Five kids. You can do it. You can budget it. Listen, if you can't afford it, God does not want you to have it. If you're ever curious, is this item a part of my destiny? If you can't afford it, God does not want you to have it. It is not a part of your destiny. Point number nine, Exodus 20:16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Here's point nine. Be a good witness. Your credit score is a reflection of your integrity. And I realize things happen and, you know, sometimes other people mess us up. But the reason that when you go to buy a car or a house, they look at your credit score, because they know that's who you are. That shows your level of integrity for the past several years. Working hard is a reflection of your character. 
The level, if you show up at work on time, you're being a good witness. If you work the full amount of hours, you're a good witness. Don't play on your phone when you're getting paid to do something else at work. That's not a good witness. Proverbs 10.4 says, being lazy will make you poor, but hard work will make you rich. Last Sunday, we had the Brazilian community that's in our second service for pizza with the pastor. And, and I think just about all of them came to this country with nothing but the clothes they're wearing. Nothing but their clothes. In fact, a guy who was in church last Sunday, um, his, his first day in America was the Saturday before. And all he, he didn't even have shoes. He did not even have shoes. We bought him, you know, we took care of him, did a bunch of great stuff for him. But the Brazilian community that's part of our church that are, that are here in the same service, they own their own businesses. They're wealthy. They have nice, safe homes and safe neighborhoods. Like, you know why? They work hard and they have integrity. When someone calls them to show up, they call back, they show up. How many times have you called a business in Myrtle Beach and it's four days later and they finally call you back or they forget to call you or they say they're going to be there at 3 o'clock and they show up at 445 or they say, we'll be there between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. from Monday to Saturday, sometime between there, you know. Have integrity, have integrity. Point number 10 is this. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Point 10 is be content. Be content. Um, don't ever compare your destiny to somebody else's destiny. You know, uh, we don't live in Market Common. My, my family and I, we live outside of Market Common. And if our house were at Market Common, it'd be like a $400,000 house. As it is, it's a $200,000 house. I mean, maybe 160, 180, something like that. And we're just as happy as we can be. Because right now, at this point in our life, living at Market Common is not part of our destiny. And we're 100% okay with it. Nothing wrong with that. God is not an American. God is not, uh, God does not live at Market Common. Don't, don't think that your destiny is the same as the person next to you. We're all, we all have different destinies. You know, when, when I first got married and bought my first house, our first house was 900 square feet. We were just as happy there as we are in a house of 1,800 square feet. Just as happy. I drove a, a, a truck when I started having kids, you know, and, and money's going to them. I had a 1982 pickup truck that somebody gave me. The windows did not roll down. There was no muffler. The whole neighborhood knew when I was leaving or coming home. Um, there was no air conditioning in the truck. Just as happy in that truck as the truck I have now. I, I prayed over that truck every week. I anointed it with oil at least a quart a week. And, um, and, and just, we, we never went on vacations with the kids growing up. We didn't have the money. It's okay. All their friends were going to Disney World, spending $10,000 with their family. We would go to Chuck E. Cheese and spend $100 and be just as happy as we could be. I remember so many times the kids saying, you know, my friends are doing this and this. And I say, well, let's go over to the mall. And we would go up and down the escalators, just over. People thought we were crazy. We were asked several times to get off. I said, it's not illegal. We can go up and down. The kids had so much fun doing it. That was our vacation. That's what we did for fun. It's okay. You're not supposed to have the latest iPhone. That's not part of your destiny. You don't have to have the nicest car. That's not part of your destiny. You're called to be content with whatever God's given you. You know, King David, he was called to be a, a king, royalty, rich. Noah, he was called to build a boat and live in it with dirty, smelly animals and dirty, smelly relatives. Which destiny would you want? Of course we want the king, but that's okay. Yours might be, yours might be different. It's totally fine. I realize in Myrtle Beach, there's so many different 
walks like you can go 10 miles down the road to a trailer park 10 miles later you're in you know beautiful mansions you know you got boats on the water and all this prosperity for your notes is this prosperity is fulfilling your destiny that's what biblical prosperity is is fulfilling your destiny uh, i'll close with this story um you know my, my grandparents on my dad's side of family they were they were millionaires they, they invested in, co in, in stock, the stock market. They bought Coke, Coca-Cola, when it first came out. Um, my granddad built homes, you know, and, and with his, he, all by himself, he built homes, beach houses, and sell them for 10 times more than what it cost him to build it. Um, when I was a teenager, my grandfather, he was starting to get Alzheimer's really bad and dementia, and he would forget who we were. I'd, I'd, I'd give him a hug. He had no idea who I was. He'd come in and out of it. But when this started, even though he'd forget everything that was recent, he remembered details of when he was 20, 30, 40 years old. I mean, details. And so my dad did something one day that to this day is just one of the greatest ideas, blows my mind. My dad took our whole family, we went to Georgetown to visit my grandparents. And um, my dad had one of those big old camcorders, you know, that you can record. See, for those young people, we use our phones, but back in the day, you know, the news anchor people, the news station with the big old cameras, that's what every parent had at, at Disneyland, out in the field. If you were at a soccer game, you'd see parents holding these big old cameras trying to videotape. I'm surprised they didn't have a reel on it or something like that. But my dad brought our video camera and got a bunch of blank VCR tapes, and he sat my granddad down in his recliner, and he said, just tell me about your life, Dad. And he hit record, and my granddad spent hours hours telling about his life how he met my grandma his service in the war how he had to kill a soldier on the other team and how bad he felt I mean, he was going through everything in his life he started talking about all the millions of dollars they gave away my grandparents they lived off of about thirty thousand dollars a year but they gave away about three hundred thousand dollars a year they wore the same outfit every single day. My granddad had the same red tie he wore for decades with a stain on it. He refused to buy himself a new tie, but he would buy other people houses, cars. So he started telling me, he said, well, and he doesn't even, he doesn't even know we're in the room. He, had, he thinks we're strangers. And he says, well, when I was you know, 35 and I built this house, we knew a family that really needed it, so we just gave him that house. And that church, you know, over there in Florence, over there, we, we paid that thing off. It was 1.2 million. We paid it off, and they didn't even know it came from us. And remember those kids down the street? We bought them a brand new car. And then this guy went to college, and he went to my church, so we paid off his college debt. I mean, just talking about the millions they gave away. And, and over half the people never even knew it came from him. They always channeled it through a church or some other way. I mean, they would buy cars for other people, and they would be driving a car with 300,000 miles on it. And they'd buy someone else a brand new car. I saw this all growing up, all growing up. All of a sudden, in the middle of my granddad telling these stories, he stops and he looks around the room and he knows exactly who we are. And he starts calling us by name. He looks over at my dad and tears are just flowing down his eyes. He just talked about for hours all the stuff they gave away, all the churches they built, the houses, I mean, everything. He starts crying and he looks at my dad right in his eyes. He says, Wayne, Wayne, do you still travel around the world? My dad said, yes, dad, yeah, I do. And my dad's just crying. He says, when you're traveling, if you ever find Jesus, 
If you ever meet Jesus in any of these countries that you go to, please tell him how grateful me and your mom are for all that he's done for us. And when he said that, I was an unsaved teenager and my first thought was this, are you crazy? Jesus needs to be thanking you. You did this, granddad, you worked hard. You chose to sacrifice. You chose to live way beyond, way underneath your means. You're the one that did all these things for God. Jesus should be thanking you. And now I'm in my 40s and I realize he was saying, tell Jesus thank you that I had the ability to work. Tell him thank you that I had the right thought in the mind that I could build homes and beach houses. Tell him thank you that we were able to bless so many people because it was such a joy to give. Tell him thank you that we were able to live for thir after, from $30,000 a year, giving away $100,000. Tell Jesus thank you for everything that he's done in my life. That's being a good steward of what God's given you. And how I want to pass that down. My granddad's in heaven now, and, and I bet he's got a huge reward, too. A huge reward.